Hello, and welcome to episode one of the CFB Winning Edge podcast. My name is Nicholas Ian Allen. I'm here today with my podcast co-host, Xavier Trish. Xavier, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, excited to be here, Nick. Excited to go ahead and uh, knock out these preseason expectations. I think a lot of the expectations are going to surprise some folks. So, Nick, tell the people where they can find us. Absolutely. Uh, this podcast is uh, coming to you courtesy of our Patreon supporters. Uh, we were fortunate enough. We've got some great supporters that helped fund our uh, first goal to uh, give us the equipment we needed and, and set up the uh, set the stage for us to begin this free weekly podcast. And uh, if you are interested in supporting this podcast, go to patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge. If you've got questions or comments, uh, feel free to reach out anytime uh, through email as well. That's CFB Winning Edge at gmail.com. So what we're doing today is uh, going through our preseason projections for the SEC. But before we get into that, I wanted to discuss just a couple of the uh, documents that we're going to be referring to. Uh, these are available to our Patreon supporters, uh, and they also help guide our uh, numbers, all of our ratings, and our preseason projections. Uh, the first is our FBS Team Profiles database. And what we've got is an uh, individual player rating uh, that we call VGR+, and that stands for Video Game Rating+. Plus. Uh, it's Pretty uh, easy to understand if you grew up playing the NCAA football game or Madden or FIFA, something along those lines. Basically, it works on uh, roughly a 60 to 100 scale, where a 100 rated player is the highest uh, available. And we've gone through and used uh, a system that helps us evaluate uh, talent projection and add experience and production to give us an individual overall player rating for more than 10,000 FBS players. So when we refer to uh, a 100 rated player or an 85 rated player, that's what we're referring to. Uh, we're also going to uh, use some other information in the team profiles, including our position and unit rankings, uh, our roster strength rating, which is basically an assessment of overall team talent. We've got head coach ratings. Our team performance uh, ratings that give a game grade to each team over the course of the entire season. We will sometimes reference our 2018 team performance ratings. And finally, our team strength rating is our overall power rating for uh, each team. So whenever we're referring to uh, any of that information, you can find that in our FBS team profiles. And those are available uh, to our Tier 2 Patreon supporters. Uh, Xavier, before we jump into uh, Arkansas here, who comes in uh, at number 14 in our team strength rating among SEC teams, uh, anything on your mind recently? Um, essentially, you just broke down the holy grail of football. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I think this algorithm would be used by Madden um, and NCAA if we had a game. Uh, but um, no, nothing recently. Uh, just excited about where the SEC is going to look like this year. I think that we've got a lot of dark horse teams that may surprise some people and may ruin some seasons. Uh, but as you were saying, Arkansas is the bottom of the basement. And 
to get into Arkansas really quickly before I pass it back to Nick. This team doesn't have a starting quarterback going into this season. They've got two guys, Ben Hicks, Nick Starkle, who have, who are going to, both going to be vying for the job come fall. But it's never a good thing when you have a second-year head coach and no starting quarterback. Nick, what are, what are, your, what are your thoughts about this? What are the numbers saying? Well, uh, first of all, you're absolutely right. The, the quarterback situation is is first and foremost, probably the most important thing to Arkansas's success this season. Uh, instability at that position is a, a big reason why the Razorbacks finished 2-10 and 10 last year and, and were in the bottom uh, of the SEC as far as team performance. They put together a 73.8 average game grade, which was uh, 110th in the country. So obviously a lot of room for improvement. And if one of those quarterbacks can step up uh, and take control of this offense, it'll go a long way to help stabilizing uh, that offense, which uh, is, is has an opportunity to grow in Chad Morris's second season in Fayetteville and uh, his uh, old quarterback, Ben Hicks, being on hand. Uh, I would give him a slight edge to Same. be – uh, the starter this year because of course he is uh, very familiar with this coaching staff and sort of what they are looking to accomplish but Nick Starkle the former Texas A&M uh, signal caller uh, comes in a little bit higher rated recruit coming out of high school and uh, obviously he showed some flashes with the Aggies as well so uh, when he arrives on campus this summer it'll definitely uh, be a, a good battle I think between the two of them Hicks, the senior, and Starkle, the junior, both of which are uh, immediately eligible to play this year. So as you're going through the roster and, and different things, uh, what are some of the strengths that you noticed on the Hogs this year? Well, first and foremost, Rakeem Boyd stands out, and I think he stands out for most people who follow the SEC. Uh, most people may know him from Last Chance U fame, uh, but this guy is a bell cow, and he's going to have to be for Arkansas to do anything in this league this year. They're going to definitely rely on his legs, um, as well as Devois Whaley, to make noise this year while Ben Hicks or Nick Starkle, or the both of them, find their footing in the SEC. Uh, when you look at the defense, the lack of depth comes to hand off the rip. Um, I don't think that their depth is going to allow them to be in many ball games into the fourth quarter. Sorry, Arkansas fans, if that uh, angers you a little bit, but... You guys don't have much depth when it comes to your linebacking core and your DBs, same thing. Inexperience might be something that you lend themselves to, but none of their corners are rated above an 86. They could all prove us wrong. They could show us that they're better than what they are. But according to the numbers and according to how they played last season, there's going to have to be a lot of improvement in that secondary for them to be able to compete this year. Absolutely, yeah. The Arkansas defense uh, was a, a major uh, area of concern. The Hogs finished no better than 11th in any of the four major statistical categories on defense. Uh, and as you mentioned, the secondary and the linebacking core as well uh, aren't quite uh, up to snuff as far as the talent we're used to seeing across the SEC. Our numbers uh, say that Arkansas has the 13th rated linebacking core and the 13th rated secondary according to our roster strength numbers uh, and the linebackers are particularly um, uh, outmatched compared to a lot of the other teams in the conference they rank 81st in the country as far as their talent ratings go and that's even with uh, a standout player 
Dejon Harris, who's a 100-rated linebacker, uh, who is uh, certainly one of the most productive linebackers in the SEC. He and defensive lineman McTelvin Ajim. I'm sorry if I uh, mispronounced <laughs> that, but uh, they are both 100-rated players. They are two all-SEC caliber uh, players on defense. But as you mentioned, uh, the the depth is a concern. The defensive line is is uh, definitely the strength of that unit, but um, it, it'll be interesting to see how the back seven uh, handles things in the SEC. As we dive into our win projections, uh, there is... Definitely some room for improvement. Last year, Arkansas, uh, they uh, got upset um, by North Texas, uh, famously with the fake punt uh, or, or the excuse me, the fake fair catch uh, mm-hmm. punt for a touchdown. Just uh, was an embarrassing moment. And they ended up getting blown out, and that was a week after they lost to Colorado, Colorado State. State. And in, uh, in also in embarrassing fashion. But uh, this team, I think, was a little bit better than their record last year. And uh, this year, things set up decently well Nicer. with the schedule. <laughs> uh, our uh, line projections, our early line projections, um, show Arkansas favored in five of their 12 games. So if they take care of business against the non-conference opponents, Portland State, Colorado State, San Jose State and Western Kentucky, uh, they will be uh, well on their way to bowl eligibility. And uh, we also actually have them favored just by a a slight margin, less than one point in the season finale against Missouri. So uh, that that will be interesting, and that's probably a surprise uh, to a lot of you who who might be high on the Tigers this year. But uh, if things click for Arkansas, if the quarterback position comes together, if they lean on that uh, talented group of running backs, um, they have an opportunity to to surprise some people this year. Any last thoughts, Xavier, on the Hogs before we move on? All I can say is you're saying there's a chance. That's all that matters. (laughs) Um, I think, like you were saying, it sets up very nicely for them to start the season. And they played rather well against some of the bigger teams in the FCC West last year, against your LSUs, your uh, Mississippis. Um, they played rather well. They lost close games, even including the game against Texas A&M. So it could always be a coin flip in this conference. No game is set in stone before the ball is snapped. Uh, so Arkansas fans, keep your fingers and uh, toes crossed this season when you play some of those teams. And who knows, you guys might be in a bowl game by the end of this year. Absolutely. Next, Absolutely. we're going to be taking a one step out of the basement and moving on to the Vanderbilt Commodores, who we have at 13. Uh, Nick, as far as this team by the numbers, uh, they're losing Kyle Shermer. What is that going to look like as far as the production rating um, coming into this year at the quarterback position? Well, uh, the the loss of Shermer uh, was definitely a big one. Um, he was a, a longtime starter, uh, obviously son of an NFL coach, and uh, did some really good things under center for the Commodores. But uh, as uh, luck would have it, they were able to lure a graduate transfer from Ball State, Riley Neal, who has a wealth of experience, 32 games started. Uh, for the Cardinals in the MAC was a pretty productive player. And though he struggled a little bit with injuries in the past, um, has an opportunity to take the starting job here. He will compete 
with Deuce Wallace, who was suspended all of last season, but uh, did some exciting things in a backup role in 2017. And Alan Walters is kind of lurking there currently. We have him in the uh, third spot on our quarterback depth chart. But uh, Vanderbilt's got some exciting players. If if Neil uh, steps up and takes charge of that role, similar to uh, what we were saying before about Arkansas, he's definitely got some weapons to work with. Keyshawn Vaughn is one of the most exciting, explosive running backs in the SEC, if not the entire country. Um, we have him rated as a 99.5, so he's you know just just barely below that maximum rating uh, is is about as good as you can get here in the SEC. And the receiving core has uh, some very good options. There's an experienced group led by Kalijah Lipscomb uh, at wideout and tight end Jared Pinckney, who is certainly an all-SEC all candidate, potentially uh, an all-American candidate at tight end. And one player that I'm uh, particularly excited to see, he was a three-time all-Ivy League performer at Harvard as a receiver and kick returner. Justice Shelton Mosley uh, was a graduate transfer coming to Vanderbilt for his senior season. And I think he has an opportunity to do some good things. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Jerry Pinckney. That has a special place in my heart because we played with each other um, in high school. So nice. I definitely see him uh, taking that next step and possibly being a, an all-SEC, um, possible all-American. Uh, but let's go to the other side of the football, which might be the most important side of the football um, if you've been a Vanderbilt fan under Derek Mason. This defense, for the first time, possibly under Derek Mason, is the Achilles heel of this team. Now, don't get me wrong. The defense still has some studs. Uh, forgive me if I butchered this name. Dayo Odeyingbo. I think I did a pretty good job. Uh, Drew Birchmeyer and Cameron Tidd all lead uh, the defensive line with 80-plus ratings um, in our uh, according to our stats. So they have some studs. Um, when you look at Caleb Pert, the outside linebacker, the senior, that's going to be a place where they lean on as far as an experience standpoint. So I say Achilles heel, but that might be solely because of the talent they've lost in the last couple of years that they're looking to replenish and rebuild. Um, more so of the talent that they currently have. Um, it also might be the fact that the offense this year has so much talent around it, and we haven't necessarily seen that um, a part of Vanderbilt in the time that Derrick Mason has been there. It's more so feels like a James Franklin-led team, more so than a Derrick Mason-led team, them leaning on their offense over their defense. But uh, Vanderbilt this year, 13th is harsh. Don't get me wrong. They went 6-7 and seven <laughs> last year. I think that they have an opportunity – to roll off more than uh, their fair share of wins this year. But when you play in the SEC, defense wins championships and also wins games. And starting off your season against Georgia, it gives your defense no favors and gives your starting quarterback, whoever it's going to be, no favors at all either. Um, so they're just on their heels to start off the year, which is why I, we have them so far down. And I don't think that's going to pan well for them throughout the season. Absolutely. It's it's definitely uh, a tough draw to uh, play Georgia in week one. Uh, we only have Vanderbilt with a 21% win probability in that game. They're about a two touchdown underdog, according to our numbers. And it's it's uh, really a tough schedule to start altogether because the following week they travel to Purdue. And uh, we know the Boilermakers have uh, 
done some exciting things, knocked off Ohio State last right. year. Rondale Moore, All-American, uh, easily one of the most exciting players in all of college football. Vanderbilt draws LSU from the West this year, and, and they play in week four, uh, which will be difficult. And even a couple of the G5 opponents in the non-conference, uh, Northern Illinois in week five and UNLV in week seven, pose some problems. Northern Illinois has, has been a steady, consistent program in the MAC, and uh, even though UNLV has struggled, um, they have a very exciting quarterback, Armani Rogers, uh, who is capable of taking over a game. So uh, our numbers, our projected win total for Vanderbilt right now, if we add up all the win probabilities, is 5.54 wins. So they will be knocking on the door of bowl eligibility, similar to last year. But we only have the Commodores favored in five games. Uh, and that includes a couple of toss-ups against Missouri and also Kentucky. So Vanderbilt is definitely going to have to take care of business in the games that they are supposed to win, uh, especially those in-division home contests against uh, the Tigers and the Wildcats, respectively. Um, bowl eligibility, I think, is is definitely a possibility, but uh, it's it's going to be difficult because, as you mentioned, the, the defense, a little bit of a... Uh, uh, rough time at the second half of last season in particular uh, when the offense was starting to come together. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if Derek Mason and, and that uh, coaching staff can whip this defense back into shape uh, so that uh, Vanderbilt can get back to bowl eligibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. So moving on um, Vanderbilt fans, I think you can see from where we're going. That could be a very, very uh, flip flop year for you guys. Um, consistency will be key with this team. Uh, but moving out of Vanderbilt, we're going to be talking about the next team on our list, which is the Ole Miss Rebels. Now, the numbers have them at 12. I personally don't. This is why I'm not a numbers guy. Uh, I am drinking all of the Matt Corral Kool-Aid that you can offer me right now, and I think Ole Miss is a lot better than what the numbers say. Nick, why is Ole Miss 12th on our list? So uh, the the numbers that we're referring to, again, our, our team strength rating, that's our overall uh, power rating. That's what we use to project point spreads and things like that. That rating consists of three parts primarily. One is the roster strength rating. Uh, again, all the player ratings come together. We add those up. Uh, we divide by, uh, excuse me, put them into uh, position and unit uh, ratings, uh, add them all up. That gives us a number. Ole Miss is a, an 85.52, which is good. Uh, obviously, there's some talent that has uh, been coming to Oxford over the last few years. As you mentioned, Matt Corral, very highly rated quarterback uh, coming out of high school and, and definitely ex an exciting player. But for Ole Miss, the, the second part of uh, the equation is what's dragging their rating down a little bit, and that's the head coach rating. Uh, Matt Luke seems like a great guy. Obviously, he's an Ole Miss lifer for the most part. Um, but our data-driven coach ratings, which operate on that same 65 to 100 scale, uh, we only have Matt Luke as a 77.28, which is 92nd in the country and 13th in the SEC, ahead of only uh, Chad Morris right now. So that's where that rating is, is coming down a little bit. Uh, and obviously, there is a small sample size issue. Matt Luke's only been on the sidelines there and in charge for a couple of years. But 
there is an opportunity for that number to come up, especially with his two new coordinators uh, that he hired, Rich Rodriguez, obviously successful head coach at uh, West Virginia, less so at Michigan and, and had a bit of a up and down tenure at Arizona, but we know that he's had success play, uh, excuse me, calling the plays. Um, and uh, it'll be very interesting to see how he works uh, Matt Corral into that offense. And then on the defensive side of the football, Mike McIntyre, former Colorado head coach and uh, San Jose State before that. The two of those experienced head coaches coming back to coordinator roles, it'll be interesting to see how that all me- meshes together. Um, but you're absolutely right. If, if Ole Miss plays up to the level of talent that's on the roster, they certainly have an opportunity uh, to perform better than 12th in the SEC, uh, which is where they fall in our preseason projections. And you kind of alluded to the reasons why I think Ole Miss are going to be a better team than what we have them slated as. I think there's just so much talent. Uh, They lost a lot of talent. Don't get me wrong. You lose a guy like A.J. Brown. You lose a guy like D.K. Metcalf. Two explosive wide receivers with excellent hands. It's not going to be easy to replace those guys. It never is. I mean, even Alabama struggles to replace guys like Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and those guys. You just don't, and they lost two first-round caliber receivers, not just one. But when you look at the talent, and this is going based off of the numbers and also based off of what you see last year, Ole Miss has a plethora of talent in all position groups. Now, do they always have depth? Not necessarily. This doesn't remind you of the Houston, uh, Houston not, of uh, the teams prior, the Landshark defenses, where it felt like everybody on the field was a first to third round talent, and they were just flying around. But they do have a couple of those guys who, if they can step up and make plays when it matters most, I could easily see them winning more than the five games than they won last year. I mean, for instance, we we, we, t- we start with Scotty Phillips, who we have rated as a 93.19. And when this is a clear uh, assessment of, not, of lack of depth when you look at the running back position. Behind him is a 72. Case in point. Um, but... I I digress. When you have that much talent at each position, you expect them to come to play. Now, if they can be consistent, and if Matt Luke can find them to be disciplined, then they will perform well this year. Uh, I mean, if you were a Mississippi fan last year, it felt like every single game could be one way or the other. You lose by 29 to LSU, and then the very next week you win by 51. That is how you played last year, and I don't expect for Matt Luke to allow that inconsistency to stay pat this year. Um, especially now on the defensive side of the football. And that's why I have them so high. And I think Matt Corral is better than Jordan Tayamu. And I think he's going to also elevate that offense um, in a higher space than what they were last year. So this is why I have Ole Miss higher on my list. All right. So uh, our win probability are our, our, our projected wins uh, right now for Ole Miss. We've got five 0.66 wins and we have them favored in five games only two of uh their sec uh games we've we've got the rebels favored so if you were to project their final record at the end of the regular season xavier what would you uh think is a realistic expectation for Ole miss fans well in our numbers we don't have them beating memphis i think that's closer than it might be i think i can easily see them starting off the season four no now preface my statement I could also see them starting out the season two and two so so Ole Miss fans don't kill me if you guys don't start off on fire I'm just telling you right now if you guys come out of the gates if Matt Corral shows his four-star rating to be exactly the quarterback that he is four and oh is not a, a crazy start 
Um, if they're able to do that, I can easily see them finishing seven and five. Um, eight and four may be too much of a stretch playing in the SEC West, but games against Memphis, Arkansas, Southeastern Louisiana, Cal, um, Missouri, Vanderbilt, New Mexico State, there's your seven wins right there. Um, not to mention, who knows what Mississippi State will look like at the end of the season. Nick Fitzgerald might shut it down early. Uh, well, excuse me, not Nick Fitzgerald, but the starting quarterback may <laughs> shut say, it down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, might not be playing at all. I don't know. Uh, but um, <laughs> Mississippi State's another one on the list that they could win it come the end of the season. You can never count a team out in a game where it's in-state rivals and bowl games are on the line. You never know what's going to happen in those games. I mean, Ole Miss fans know exactly where, where I'm alluding to. When I say you don't know what could happen. Uh, so, yeah, seven, eight wins is not out of the realm of possibility for Ole Miss fans. Sure, sure. And and uh, looking at the schedule, it is important that uh, the Rebels do have a bye week before the Egg Bowl. Mm-hmm. So depending on how that Mississippi State quarterback competition works itself out with Keaton Thompson and uh, the, the Penn State transfer, Tommy Stevens. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it's interesting to see Ole Miss will have an extra week to prepare, and obviously anything can happen in a, uh, a rivalry game as bitter as that. So uh, moving on to number 11 in Zero. our uh, preseason SEC uh, team strength ratings is Missouri. And some people might be surprised by this. Uh, I know some of the uh, shows, other podcasts that I've listened to, a lot of people are, are pretty high on the Tigers. Um, if their bowl ban is overturned, uh, if their postseason ban is overturned, there are even some people that think uh, Mizzou could be a dark horse candidate in the SEC East. Uh, we are. <laughs> are a little bit uh, more conservative on, on our projections. Our numbers don't love the Tigers quite as much. The schedule does set up relatively well, but uh, we only see uh, six projected wins according to our win probabilities and our actual, uh, the, the number of games in which we've got the Tigers favored is only five at this point. So obviously, you know, we, our, our numbers are not perfect, uh, but we uh, uh, have had a, a pretty good, uh, uh, had a, a fairly good run last year um, as far as our uh, preseason and in-season projections went. So uh, there's definitely uh, some reason maybe to, to pull back just a little bit on the Missouri preseason hype. Yeah. When you look at a team like Missouri, I think that hype comes from Kelly Bryant. Um, you get a quarterback who's had as much success as he has had in the past, um, who did great things at Clemson, and you add him to a team that went 8-4 and four last year, 8-5 and five with a loss in the bowl game, and people expect that team to elevate. Um, however, I think he's worse than Drew Locke. I, I don't know if there's a lot of people who agree with me on that. Maybe people feel like he's less turnover prone, and maybe he's more dynamic in the fact that he can use his legs a lot more than Drew Locke did. But when we're talking about pure quarterback, you don't have a guy go second round, 42nd pick to the Broncos and just easily replace that with a, with a transfer. Um, even if that transfer did have so much success at a team, at a school like Clemson. Um, I think a lot of that success came from the fact that he played at an amazing school under an amazing coaching staff where, you know, he had to be a game manager. And I hate saying that word because I feel like every, no player is a game manager, but in a sense, he put up 21 points and the defense was going to get it done for him. That's not going to happen in Missouri. Um, the defense was abysmal last season. Um, just to kind of get into where they rank as far as the uh, pass defense, especially, was a 
was uh, last in the SEC. Yeah. Um, and going into this year, it doesn't look like they're uh, any better. Um, so as far as the, the, the Kool-Aid, the Missouri Kool-Aid, I'm, I'm going to have to s- slow down on that. I'm not drinking that as much. Um, and I, I'm have to see what this team does. Um, as far as the the season goes, the season starts off very well for them. Uh, Missouri starts off with Wyoming, West Virginia, Southeastern Missouri State, and then they go into their first SEC game against South Carolina, also at home. They could easily start off 4-0, 5-0 when they beat Troy, and things could be looking up. Uh, but I think that there's something there. I, I don't know what it is. I, I just don't know that Missouri doesn't seem like a team who's going to, especially not challenge for the SEC East this year, but is not going to blow the barn doors off of anybody and probably will finish with seven, eight wins, probably the same exact thing that they had last year. Um, so, yeah, yeah. No. So the, uh, the numbers, the reason why perhaps our uh, model is not very high on Missouri, uh, the Tigers don't have the depth uh, from a pure talent standpoint that you see at a lot of the other uh, schools in the SEC. So Kelly Bryant, is rated at 92.77, based uh, in large part on his production at Clemson. Uh, he uh, is a dynamic player, especially on the ground, has an opportunity to do uh, a lot of different things that that Drew Locke maybe uh, couldn't do. Um, Drew Locke, probably a little more athletic than, than we remember at times, but uh, still not as dynamic a runner as Kelly Bryant. So that does add uh, some excitement to this offense, but behind Kelly Bryant. We're not sure what to make of Lindsey Scott or Tyler uh, Powell quite yet. So if he were to, uh, you know, come down with an injury, uh, as we saw uh, was possible at Clemson a couple of years ago when he uh, had to uh, come out of the Syracuse game, um, uh, they could be in trouble. Uh, the same goes at the running back position. Larry Roundtree, obviously highly productive, very talented running back. Uh, but Tyler Beatty, who we have number two on the list, uh, though he is perhaps, you know, he, he uh, was probably a little underrated coming out of high school, uh, still not quite uh, the talent that Roundtree is, uh, not the uh, heavy rotation running back that Roundtree is. They do get a boost in the receiving core with the addition of Jonathan Nance. Some of the guys coming back, Jonathan Johnson, Jalen Knox, obviously at tight end. Albert O is uh, right there in the conversation with Jared Pinckney for the best tight end in the SEC. Uh, But as you mentioned, the defense was definitely um, a major issue last year, especially in the secondary. DeMarcus Acey is an all-SEC caliber corner, but uh, that unit did struggle a lot last year. So uh, they'll need AC and uh, fellow uh, All-SEC candidate Kel Garrett at linebacker to, to really step up and, and hopefully uh, that defense will take another step and, and improve and, and hey, maybe Mizzou can prove us wrong. Um, there's definitely an opportunity that the Tigers could be undefeated uh, through the first 10 weeks of the season before they go to Georgia in week 11. They could be 8-0. We don't have them uh, any higher than a five-point underdog in uh, any of those games, but we do uh, give a slight edge right now to South Carolina on the road in Week Four, and then Vanderbilt and Kentucky. Uh, Missouri has to go to Nashville and Lexington in back-to-back weeks, so those are perhaps a little trickier than uh, they might appear on paper. And then, of course, the the end of the season 
is tricky. Georgia and Florida in back-to-back weeks, and Tennessee, who we'll be talking about in just a minute, uh, is definitely a team on the rise. So uh, Mizzou, modest expectations on our part, perhaps uh, uh, more so than most anywhere else that you might read this time of the year. Uh, But uh, we are uh, slightly bearish on the Tigers at this point. I think rightfully so. I think when you have um, a team that has a brand new quarterback and, in my opinion, will run a different system than what they've run in the past with Drew Locke being there, it's going to take some time for them to get acclimated. Um, if if any Missouri fans or any SEC fans kind of want to know the system that they're going to try to run, in my opinion, or what I think they might run, is going back to the 2013 Missouri team. Now, Missouri fans might get excited because that's the team that went to the SEC championship game, but they're going to run a similar offense zone reads and letting Kelly Bryant make decisions with his arm or his legs. Um, after, uh, hitting the mesh point with the running back, uh, that's probably what the offense is going to look like, um, to kind of simplify it for Kelly Bryant, who, uh, didn't show much complexity while he was at Clemson. So I, I think it's fine for us to be bearish on, uh, on Missouri this year. And, uh, yeah, maybe they can prove us wrong. Doubt it, but it's possible. <laughs> it, it'll be fun to see how it all plays out. Yeah. All right, moving on. Number 10 in our preseason uh, SEC team strength ratings are uh, the Kentucky Wildcats. Now, I uh, do have a, a little bit of a uh, something I wanted to share on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. A uh, Kentucky fan um, uh, reached out to us, was uh, not very happy that we – uh, have Kentucky as uh, roughly a, a six and six team, and and have them ranked 42nd in the nation uh, at this point. Uh, they uh, the the Big Blue Nation obviously is riding high after last year's uh, highly successful 10 win season, but uh, right now our numbers call for Kentucky to come back to earth a little bit. Uh, this <laughs> this uh, uh, reader in particular reached out was uh, <laughs> thought it was uh, incredible that we have South Carolina favored by nine and a half points in week five in Columbia. So uh, one thing I posed to him, and I'll put it out to any other uh, Kentucky fans that, that might be out there. If you're, uh, if you are uh, a believer that Kentucky is, is going to be, you know, if, if, if this, is uh, the continuation of last year's success. If you think Kentucky has a chance to, to challenge in the SEC East again, and you think that they should be the, uh, favored over South Carolina or, or uh, any of the other teams that we've got, Kentucky is an underdog. What I posed to him was sign up uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash CFB winning edge. And if you're a, a patron of ours uh, from now until that game kicks off and uh, South Carolina in this case, uh, wins the game, well, then you, you continue to be a patron and, and you'll get access to all of our great information. But if Kentucky were to win that game, uh, then uh, I will go ahead and, and say that we would refund your patronage up to that point. So uh, offered that to him. Didn't hear anything else uh, <laughs> after that. So uh, I, I, I think maybe he, uh, he, he said he would take that bet that Kentucky uh, would beat South Carolina. I offered it, and then it was crickets. But uh, anyway, Kentucky, early thoughts. Xavier, what are, what are your thoughts on uh, this Kentucky team, 
uh, new look after uh, a very successful 2018 season. They may be the worst team in the SEC this year. Um, and I know that sounds outlandish. Um, and, you know, for the guy who, who reached out to us on Twitter, I apologize to you in particular. Because this team is going to struggle a lot. You don't replace your all-time leading rusher. Your, if I'm not mistaken, Josh Allen was, if not the all-time sack leader, close to it. You don't replace that kind of talent on both sides of the ball in one season. It, it just doesn't happen. And when you when you look at the team going forward, it's Terry Wilson's ball club. He is going to be the reason why they either win or lose games. And that's got to be a scary thought if you're a Kentucky fan. Because he didn't have great games last year, and he rode the back of Benny Snell. Which, to his credit, I would have as well, um, being in my sophomore season. But Kentucky, in my opinion, when you look at the talent, it's just not there. You have Lynn Bowden, but after Lynn Bowden, who do you have? According to our stats and our numbers, the next highest rated receiver is at 81, right after him, as far as experience is concerned. You look at the running backs, A.J. Rose, 81 overall. As soon as you go out, get out of him, 75, 74, 74. You just don't see the same amount of talent that you had last year. And that's not going to bode well when you play in a, in a, in a, in a league that week in and week out, you're going to have to bring it. For instance, you guys have Toledo and Eastern Michigan to start the season off. Both of you guys should be favorites in that. However, then you go Florida, Mississippi State, and South Carolina on the road before your first uh, bye week. You guys could easily, easily be two and three by that time frame. And whatever hope of, you know, winning nine games is virtually out of the window. Um, I just think that it's going to take a monumental step from Terry Wilson for this team to get anywhere near what they did last season. And I don't think he makes that step. I think he's a good, he's a, uh, an above average to good quarterback, but that doesn't win you close ball games in the SEC. You need a good to great quarterback to even win nine games or a great running game. And they have neither. Um, so I don't see Kentucky doing anywhere near that. 10 wins is unfathomable. Five and three in the SEC East. That's possible, but you guys could still end up, with a, a seven and five record in my personal opinion so sure sure uh, and and uh playing just devil's advocate just a little bit because some of the uh some of the uh kentucky fans that that i've seen who are uh outraged that uh you know models like ours and and some of the others uh out in the marketplace are are uh, low on kentucky this year uh asim rose aj rose um you know, could step up into that role that Benny Snell uh, carried so well for the Wildcats last year. Uh, Snell was not a particularly highly recruited player. Rose kind of along the same lines. Um, so there, there's an opportunity. Perhaps, you know, the the recruiting uh, websites maybe missed again on on a player like that. But uh, obviously he'll he'll be working behind the offensive line, which is a strength of the team yes. for sure we've got them uh rated 12th in the country and fourth in the sec but uh the running back position again um according to our numbers and again they're not perfect but uh they are 14th in the sec as far as uh, pure talent goes and 105th in the country so hopefully they'll prove us wrong um, and uh, get back, and, and it won't be uh, such a, a, a dramatic drop-off from 
uh, last year's highly successful campaign, but um, seems to me that uh, Kentucky is probably going to take a step back this year. Bowl eligibility, definitely still uh, a, a possibility. We do have Kentucky favored in six games, uh, but only two uh, SEC games. So um, we've got them projected to win 5.77 games this year, and um, it'll definitely be interesting to see if uh, if uh, Stoops can, you know, raise the uh, raise the bar uh, once more. I mean, it would be it would be great. I, I like Mark Stoops. I think he he's I think he's a great coach. I think he has the right idea. Um, and I think he's been working behind the eight ball being at a primarily basketball school for the, for the, you know, the majority of his tenure. But to, to allude back to a point that what you were saying, I just don't, you said AJ Rose could become the next Benny Snell, you know, and I just think when I look at Kentucky, there's a lot of ifs. If they find a second receiver to go with Lynn Bowden, if AJ Rose steps up into his position, if the defensive line can lose a guy like Josh Allen and still hold teams and, and, and be formidable enough to keep their offense in ball games. If, you know, their DBs who lost a lot of talent last year can also, you know, come to play and, and step up. There's a lot of ifs with this team and ifs don't turn into wins. Ifs just turn into next year projections. And so when it comes to Kentucky, maybe worst team in the SEC might have been a stretch. Third worst team. Uh, <laughs> maybe more favorable towards the, the Kentucky fans. Maybe they won't be my Twitter mentions as much now. I give you guys a little bit more love. Third worst, not the worst, but <laughs> it, it's it's very well possible. All right, moving on to uh, one of the few teams, one of the three that beat Kentucky last year, the Tennessee Volunteers, uh, come in at number nine in our uh, preseason team strength ratings, and uh, that is twenty fourth. In the country now. Uh, quick word again about these team strength ratings. <laughs> these are not a uh, projected order of finish. We do not expect nine teams to finish ranked in the top 25. But the way these are designed is uh, the uh, ranking system indicates which team would be favored over uh, another on a neutral field. So Tennessee would be favored uh, against only. Uh, the uh, bottom five SEC teams. However, they would be favored over everybody in the country except for that top 23. So uh, obviously the Vols, very talented, uh, very interested to see how Jarek Garantano does in the uh, new Jim Chaney offense. They've got some depth at running back. Ty Chandler is an exciting player, has, has uh, been productive so far. And potentially uh, the Vols have... Uh, one of the best receiving cores, not just in the SEC, but but in the country. Yeah. Uh, we have them ranked eighth uh, as far as their uh, roster talent at the receiver position. And to go with a linebacking core that ranks third, highlighted by a couple of 100-rated players, Daryl Taylor and Daniel Batuli, uh, Tennessee has a lot of talent. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if they can take another step. We've got them projected uh, as a favorite in nine games this year. So interesting to see how Tennessee uh, steps up after uh, year one of the Jeremy Pruitt era. <sighs> Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. Uh, I'm going to try to be nice on this one. Um, and, and I'm not going to go off the rails and say they're going to be garbage, but I feel like we've been saying the same thing about Tennessee for the last four to five years, um, barring last season. 
where they have so much talent. They recruit so well, and it has not come to fruition. Um, you know, even during the Josh Dobbs era, they had so much talent all over the field. There were four-star, five-stars, and their best season with him, if I'm not mistaken, was still eight or nine wins. And and when you look at this ball club, I just can't trust a team that has always been in that same moniker of having talent but not being able to use it. Um, and I think that there's going to be uh, – when you look at the offensive side of the ball, they have well, – I'm not hating saying it. They have a lot of talent. Guarantano, let's see what he does in year two um, of being the starting quarterback and taking first-team reps. And I think Cheney is going to protect him. If anybody watched Georgia over the last two years with Fromm and with Eason – Cheney does a really good job protecting quarterbacks' weaknesses. And I think he's going to make sure that Guarantano isn't in third and 16s. That bodes well for the offense. I think that, you know, they're going to make sure that they're in third and six, third and four, and be very manageable to where they can give it to Ty Chandler and he can force his way, or Tim Jordan and he can force his way into, you know, fourth and short, if not first down, or break a big run. That's what they're going to continue to do. Um, but the one thing Cheney's never been good at, and this is maximizing his receiver talent. And if he doesn't do that with this Tennessee team, they might be very underwhelming. Um, I would be scared if I was a Tennessee fan having Jim Chaney call my plays. When you have two guys in Marquez Callaway and Jawan Jennings and Dominic Wood Anderson, let me not forget him, all rated above 90. These guys are amazing. They And they can make plays. And they can make Guarantano look like a, you know, an, an all-SEC caliber quarterback. But if you don't use them, what's the point? If they're sitting there blocking on the outside, like we used to do with Riley Ridley and Jeremiah Holloman and Terry Go- and Terry Godwin, you know, and your running game isn't working to fruition, then they're just wasted talent. They're just wasted limbs. Um, so, you know, that's my only issue so far. You're, uh, you're... Your bias just snuck out just a little yeah, bit there when yeah. you you said we as uh, as the uh, resident Georgia fan uh, on the podcast. Uh, Xavier uh, definitely uh, knows a thing or two about Jim Cheney's track record. Our numbers were pretty high on Jim Cheney uh, for his career so far. He ranks 22nd in the country and fifth in the conference with a 86.43 offensive coordinator rating. Uh, that's, again, based on historical performance and on that same scale as all of our player ratings. But uh, Jeremy Pruitt, I, I, for one, am a believer in Jeremy Pruitt. I think he's going to uh, really do some good things for this defense. I think they're going to take another step. Obviously, we mentioned that the linebacker core is uh, highly talented. They've got some very uh, highly talented defensive backs as well. Nigel Warrior is a 100-rated player, uh, second-leading tackler last year, and uh, Bryce Thompson's an all-SEC caliber performer at corner as well. So um, definitely interested to see how uh, things work on the field for Tennessee this year uh, as they transition into the full uh, Jeremy Pruitt mode or model for for this program again we've got them favored in nine games that seems awfully high for a team that only won five last year but you know things can uh can click in a hurry in year two especially of a, of a new coaching staff so um definitely a lot of people pretty high on the vols this year so uh next up we're uh, almost halfway through our sec preview here uh number eight in our preseason team strength ratings, the South Carolina Gamecocks. 
and they come in at number 20 in the country as far as our preseason projections go uh but uh not not as many wins on the schedule it looks like uh compared to tennessee right now we've only got the gamecocks favored in six games and uh, that's because they play what a lot of people say is the toughest schedule in the country oh yeah (laughs) it's not going to be a fun time for south carolina fans this year um, if you think that you guys are going to run through the SEC East and Jake Bentley is going to somehow raise his draft stock high enough to, for him to go into the first round, s- slow your roll. Pump your brakes. It's going to be a long season. Enjoy the fact that you guys played North Carolina and Charleston Southern to start off the year. Because you get Alabama week three, um, boy, oh boy, you look at this schedule and they have Georgia on the road. They get Clemson to end the year, which, gosh, after last year, Clemson looks like they might just run away with college football for another season. They have Florida. They get Vandy, South Carolina. These teams – I'm sorry, not South Carolina, but uh, Tennessee on the road. These, it's not going to be easy, easy, easy year for them uh, whatsoever, which is why I, for the first time, I 100% agree with the numbers. Um, I think that the numbers are spot on. 6.44 is what we have them for projected wins, which, you know – says that they could definitely get to seven. Definitely. You you have games against App State, which are very winnable. But 6.44, six wins, however you want to uh, say it, I think that's a fair statement. Um, they may have a great team, but when you have a schedule like that, who knows what's going to happen? Absolutely. I mean, this could be, a, a again, a six or seven win team. Put up the same uh, seven and six record as, as they had last year and, and still might be a far and away better team uh, from top to bottom. Um, Jake Bentley, we've got him rated pretty high. He's, he's obviously experienced, 32 games started. Uh, he's put up nine production points in his career. Uh, production points are, are what we do to help uh, add to uh, maybe somebody that, that showed up on campus a little underrated uh, in the recruiting ratings. We want to uh, help close that gap. And, and uh, he's he's done some good things. He's put up some good passing numbers before, um, but uh, has not quite played up uh, to the level a lot of people thought. I, I remember this time last year, there were some people that uh, considered Bentley perhaps a dark horse Heisman candidate. And that seems like a, a long, long time ago uh, after last season. And, and it'll be difficult again, uh, especially since he lost his top receiver, Debo Samuel. But uh, Brian Edwards is, is a 100-rated player. He's perhaps a, a pretty underrated receiver uh, in the SEC. Uh, certainly think that he has an opportunity to step into that Debo Samuel role and uh, become a, a highly, highly productive player. They've definitely got depth at running back. Uh, they've got a, a couple of returning starters on the offensive line. Um, defensive line is is definitely the strength of the defense. And uh, Will Muschamp team, you have to think that that defense uh, is going to continue to improve uh, under his watch and, and that of defensive coordinator Tavares Robinson. So there's definitely potential for South Carolina. But that schedule, Alabama, as you mentioned, on the road at Georgia, on the road at Tennessee, on the road, Texas A&M, and then, of course, uh, Clemson uh, there at the end is is just a brutal stretch. So it's very, very difficult to see South Carolina uh, really challenging for more than seven, 
eight wins at the most probably. Uh, it's a just a just a really tough stretch for the Gamecocks this year. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you you were spot on with the Will Muschamp having an amazing defense. But this team goes as far as Jake Bentley goes. Uh, let's not let's not you know sugarcoat it. Uh, if Jake Bentley comes to play in every single ball game, they have a chance. Um, you know, and, and there were some games last year where Jake Bentley just didn't come to play. The Georgia game obviously uh, comes to mind off of off the top of my head. Just didn't come to play, you know, through some early interceptions. And before you knew it, the game was out of hand. And, and you can't do that in this league. You can't start off bad. You can't end bad. You can't even have a bad middle. Uh, that's how <laughs> bad, that's how strong their schedule is this year. And, you know, Jake Bentley will take this team as far as it can possibly go. And we'll see from the senior if he ends off on a, on a great note for what has been a very up and down career at South Carolina. Can he end it on a great note? That is yet to be seen. If he finishes with our win projection, that's going to be a note. Um, but yeah, this team goes as far as Jake Bentley. And, and that's, that, that's really the end all on that. So. Absolutely. All right. Now into uh, the top half of the league at number seven in the SEC and number 19 in our FBS ranking so far uh, at this point in the preseason uh, with a team strength rating of 86.93, the Auburn Tigers. And this might be a a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, Auburn obviously is a dangerous team. Seems like they could beat anybody in the country uh, in a given week. And obviously in the odd number year uh, host both Georgia and Alabama this year. And and we know how that went uh, two years ago. So Mm. Auburn, obviously dangerous, but at this point, and I think a lot of it uh, comes down to uh, the quarterback position, just a, 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 an unknown situation. Is it going to be redshirt freshman, Joey Gatewood, uh, who a lot of people last year were, comparing to Cam Newton as far as his size and uh, potentially the potential that he's got running the football? Uh, Or is it Bo Nix, the five-star true freshman who uh, has an opportunity to to, uh, really take control of that job? And and a lot of people think he could be an all-time great, perhaps, with the Tigers. But uh, it's difficult to to pin the hopes of an entire season on a true freshman or, or even a redshirt freshman for that matter. So uh, right now, Auburn, even though they've got arguably the best defensive line in the country, uh, comes in second in our ratings um, and an offensive line that is highly, highly talented and experienced returns uh, all five starters and all five are seniors uh, currently fifth in the country and third in the sec in our ratings. But it was obviously a weak uh, unit last year really struggled. Um, can this team rise above uh, this seven spot, or are they uh, destined to win between six and seven games as we've got projected? I'm gonna answer that question short and sweet for you. No, um, and it's not. And, and I like Auburn. Don't get me wrong. I think that they have a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football, and and in the trenches this year, they could win any matchup, as you just alluded to earlier. Uh, Their defensive line and offensive line, both of them are rated in the top three um, in the SEC. That's going to get you a long way in the SEC, and it's going to allow you to win some ugly games. But like I said said earlier with Vanderbilt uh, and Ole Miss and those programs, when you come into the season without your starting quarterback, they're going to struggle. And what 
those quarterbacks didn't have that these quarterbacks do at Auburn are expectations. You you mentioned it earlier. Joey Gatewood is being compared to Cam Newton. I don't know what Auburn fans are drinking over there, but I would never put that much pressure on a redshirt freshman. I don't care if he is 6'4", 232. And for Bo Nix as a five-star true freshman, maybe they saw what Trevor Lawrence did last year and they feel like he can make the same thing happen. I'm, I'm telling you now, a true freshman coming in doesn't normally work out. Not in the success of nine and three, maybe a seven and five season, maybe even eight and four, you know, depending on the strength of schedule. But when you look at, you know, two quarterbacks who are going to be vying for position, this reminds me, and a lot of Auburn fans are going to cringe uh, when they think about these years, but if I'm not mistaken, it was 2015, 2016 with uh, Jeremy Johnson and all of the, all of the, talent, air quote, air quote, that they had at the quarterback position before bringing in Jared Stidham that just didn't work out. And there was expectations that really ruined those kids' career. You know, they could never get started. And before they could even get revved up, they were getting switched out and changed because of the fan base, because of the pressure. And unless the the defense, you know, holds it down for the offense while these quarterbacks get their footing in, 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 in the SEC West, West, which is never forgiving, this team is going to struggle. Um, you alluded to their win probability or their projected wins, which is 6.7, um, which rounds up, if you want to, to seven wins. But when you look at the schedule, Oregon to start off the year, two, you know, not an easy not an easy game in the slightest with a Heisman candidate coming into your home. Uh, you have Mississippi State, A&M on the road, who, you know, we have um, highly touted in our, on our list. Uh, LSU on the road. Yes, you get Georgia and Alabama both at home. But these aren't the same Georgia and Bama teams you faced two years ago when you had the same luck. It's going to be a different year this year, and I think seven wins is fair. I think eight wins is more likely, but I think seven wins is more than fair when it comes to this ball club. Sure, and it's it you know there there are definitely some toss up games. You mentioned the Oregon game. Uh, they're in Arlington to start the season right now. Uh, Las Vegas has Auburn as a three point favorite in that game. The last I saw. Uh, this actually falls into uh, a situation that, that was uh, fairly rare. Usually our projections line up pretty well with uh, Las Vegas as far as who we favor in a game. Um, but uh, in this one, we actually have Oregon as a 1.5 point favorite. So uh, last year we tracked all of those instances in which our favorite uh, disagreed with the Las Vegas uh, odds makers. And uh, we were uh, correct about 57% of the time, 57.3 actually, uh, against the spread in those situations. So um, we favor Oregon. We think they've just got a little bit better situation at quarterback, obviously, uh, because they do have a highly rated, uh, experienced and productive player there. Um, Auburn could certainly overachieve our numbers. For sure. Uh, if they win that toss-up game in Arlington, um, they're not a, a very heavy underdog against Georgia. And obviously by week 12, uh, the quarterback situation will have uh, worked itself out, you would have to assume. And whoever the starter is would have 10 games uh, under his belt uh, at that point in the season. So uh, certainly has an opportunity to, to rise up and, and do better than our projection here. But we're pretty conservative, calling for six wins as far as uh, where Auburn is favored and 6.77 wins projected. Uh, next up, number six, 
on our list. You alluded to it before, Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State is uh, in an interesting situation. Again, like like Auburn before and, and Arkansas at the beginning, we don't exactly know who's going to be taking the snaps this year. <laughs> Keaton Thompson uh, had a, an incredible week one performance last year uh, as the starter when Nick Fitzgerald was suspended. But obviously, head coach Joe Moorhead, uh, Joe Moorhead was not 100% sold that Thompson is, is the guy in Starkville because he brought in a former backup quarterback from his time uh, at Penn State, Tommy Stevens, uh, who never started for the Nittany Lions, but did a lot of good things, came in as sort of a change of pace uh, quarterback. He even lined up in the backfield on occasion yep. as a, uh, <laughs> in the slot, does some interesting things. He's an athletic guy, 6'5", 232, uh, exciting player. But uh, as, as that situation works itself out, Mississippi State, um, they, they've got a, a, an also a pretty difficult schedule. We have the Bulldogs favored in seven games and have a, a win probability, uh, win projection of, of 7.66 victories. That season opening matchup with Louisiana is uh, perhaps a little tougher than you might uh, expect uh, when you see it on paper. And then uh, three straight home games, including Kansas State, where uh, one of Mississippi State's new receivers, Isaiah Zuber, former Wildcat, yeah. transferring to Starkville as a uh, graduate transfer. Uh, very talented kick returner, does some good things as a receiver as well. It'll be uh, fun to see how Moorhead incorporates him into the offense, which needs to to take a step in year two uh, under Moorhead for sure. Yeah, when when you look at Mississippi State, it's a, I feel like you know we're, we're we're almost a broken record here when we talk about these teams because you know we always we we're, we continue to talk about talent and you know it's the SEC. You're almost expecting all of these teams to have 85 plus rated pl- uh, players at um on both sides of the ball. Um, and when you look at Mississippi State, they're going to be kind of the same formula as teams that we've just talked about. Their defense is going to have to carry them while you wait for guys like Keaton Thompson and Tommy Stevens to 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 acclimate themselves. So Tommy Stevens, um, and if he were to win a starting job, just being a starting quarterback is, is going to take some time for him to acclimate. You know, and having that time, you know, he's moving from the Big Ten to the SEC. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit difference of caliber of player. Uh, sorry, Big Ten fans, but it is. Um, and for for Keaton Thompson, him just you know getting every game starting minutes, you know having the faith of the of the program, uh, something he didn't get last year even during Nick Fitzgerald's suspension, which you alluded to earlier. Um, it's going to take him a while. But when you have a defense like Mississippi State, where we have your linebacking core rated as the second best in the SEC, and the rest of their defense rated in the top ten, it's very well possible that this team can ride the wave early on um, with some. Very winnable games to start off the year. Uh, I would say their toughest game is week five um, against Auburn on the road, which will be uh, their first real road test of the year. Um, and then they get a bye week, which might come at the perfect time, depending on what happens in that ball game. Maybe it will be time for a quarterback change. Maybe it's just time for rest after um, a gruesome five game start off. Um, and then right after that, they hit a gauntlet. They go to Neyland. They get LSU coming their way go to A&M, and then go to Arkansas. That's not very fun, but if they could go 2-2 two and two in, that re- in that range, it sets up well for them to go, you know, win eight games, which is what we're looking at 
for this season. Um, now going into the last game of the season, when you look at Ole Miss, like we said earlier, you can never rule out a rivalry game. And the Egg Bowl is a, is a game that seemingly has something crazy happen in it every year to two years. So maybe Mississippi State needs that game to win nine games. And uh, it just doesn't happen for you. I don't know. I mean, that game is is, is a crapshoot every single time that those teams play. Um, but when you look at Mississippi State, you know, sorry to reiterate, but quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. If you don't have one in the SEC, I don't care how good the rest of your team is, you're not going anywhere. Um, yeah, simple as that, really. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great point. Last year, uh, we had Fitzgerald because he just put up ridiculous rushing yardage totals. Um, he was a 100-rated player coming into the season, so really expected big things out of him. But uh, very, you know, he struggled a lot throwing the football. Um, Mississippi State had to lean on their defense much more than we expected. It was inarguably the, the best unit in the SEC last year. Top the leaderboards in all four uh, traditional statistical categories. Uh, but they've got to uh, break in a, an entirely new starting defensive line. Obviously, as you mentioned before, the talent is there. We actually have their uh, defensive line rated as the 27th best in the country. So uh, very, very good, but ninth in the SEC. So it'll be uh, it'll be paramount for, for that unit to gel together early on. But uh, also, as you mentioned, that linebacking core, not only do we have them rate uh, second in the SEC, but second in the country. Two 100-rated players in Leo Lewis and Willie Gay, and then Errol Thompson, who's uh, the projected starter alongside those two, is a 96.7. So uh, great linebacking core. Um, the secondary, a little bit of experience right now, looks like the weak spot on that defense, but uh, the Bulldogs should still be stout defensively. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the quarterback is definitely going to be um, what we're going to have our eyes on this year. All right. We're up to the top five in the SEC in our preseason uh, team strength ratings. And this team comes in number 11 in the country, would be favored over everybody but the top 10 teams on a neutral field. It's just uh, unfortunate for Texas A&M, that they play <laughs> several of those teams yeah. uh, during the regular season. Week two at Clemson, uh, we've got Texas A&M as a 15-point underdog. They play Alabama, middle of the year, nine-point underdog, even at home. They also draw Georgia from the east in week 13, and uh, that's not how you want to set up your season finale with back-to-back -back road games, Georgia, and then in the regular season finale, LSU. We've got Texas A&M as an underdog in all four of those games and uh, call for 7.59 wins, uh, an 8-4 record projection at this point. This team has the talent to compete for a national championship. They just play such a brutal schedule. Yeah, when and, and it sucks because I really like this A&M team. I love Jimbo. Um, and for the first time, and it feels like the entire episode, we haven't had to talk about quarterbacks. Um, Kellen Mond is far and away the starter and will be leading the Aggies out uh, to start game one. And for the foreseeable future barring anything happening to him on the field but when you look at this a&m team i felt like last year they underperformed um 
a tad bit. I felt like they should have won the LSU game at the end of the year, which was wild in its own right. And I feel like, you know, the Clemson game, another one where I felt like they could have won um, and easily been challenging for the uh, SEC West. And, you know, whether it's that kind of carryover that I see them having this year or the fact that, you know, I just think Jimbo kind of has a feel for how the SEC plays now and he won't uh, and and maybe he him and uh, his, his play callers now will have more of a feel going into the season. I don't know. I'm riding an A&M train. I, I like them in a lot of games this year. Um, and I and in my opinion, I actually like them in the LSU game to end the year. Uh, that might be the only one. So nine wins is might be exactly where you guys end up like you did last season. But I like them in the LSU game. I think that they, they're going to be looking for revenge after what happened um, in that game. Um, but I, I, I like I like A&M to win nine games this year. I like Kellen Mond. I like the steps I feel like he's going to take this year and be more of a pocket passer. Um, and goodness gracious, the amount of talent he has on the outside, if he can throw the ball consistently this year, look out for A&M. Uh, we've got not one, not two, but three 90-rated wide receivers on the outside uh, with Courtney Davis and Jamon Osbin and Kendrick Rogers. If if he can get the ball to them, which he struggled at times doing last year, and, and keep the ball on their side of the field, A&M could really, really run the table um, after that Clemson game. After that Clemson game. Uh, <laughs> let me practice my thing. <laughs> after the Clemson game, you guys could run the table. There we go. Okay. Absolutely. And and uh, looking, you know, through those win probabilities, we, we only have the Aggies as a 20 percent chance of upsetting Clemson, uh, a 30 percent chance of beating Alabama at home. And then in those back to back road games to finish up 31 and 39 percent, respectively. So if you add those up, it comes up to over 100. So uh, statistically, we could expect that A&M could definitely upset one of those two teams, but uh, they would certainly have to avoid any other missteps along the way to get to nine wins. But as you mentioned, this team, very capable of doing that. The receiving core is uh, is easily one of the best in the SEC. We've got him uh, only ranked sixth, uh, but that's still a top 12 unit in the country. And uh, I'm glad you brought up Kendrick Rogers. Uh, if you are a Patreon subscriber, a tier two Patreon supporter, and you have access to our FBS team profiles, you'll notice that Kendrick Rogers has a, a, a green colored 247 rating. Um, that is because he's one of the rare players. We only do this for one or two per team at the most uh, and not very often in the SEC because these guys are continually coming in as the highest uh, ranked players in the country. But Kendrick Rogers, in my opinion, uh, was underrated coming out of high school. Watching him last year, he's a big target, physical receiver. Um, I believe he was worthy of uh, a mid four-star rating uh, that he did not get coming out of high school. So definitely... uh, Kellen Mond has a lot of options, but I think Kendrick Rogers uh, could step into uh, that third role this year and and really could uh, be a big time player. Um, as far as A and M as a whole, uh, final thoughts. I, uh, I, I again the the schedule absolutely uh, is brutal, but you do see in a uh, new head coach the new era. Year two is often pivotal. We saw Georgia go to the 
uh, college football playoff and the national championship game in year two of the Kirby Smart era. Um, those things happen, obviously. Uh, so A&M could take another step. They could uh, knock off some of these teams that uh, we've currently got uh, underdog, uh, or excuse me, have them listed as an underdog. Um, so uh, a big year in College Station for sure. And have to think, you know, it's it's never too early to look ahead. But uh, this Texas A&M squad, especially if Kellen Mond comes back and those receivers, uh, you know, they might lose one or two to the NFL. But uh, uh, there's a good chance that, that this team is a national championship contender for sure in 2020. Um, so, uh, all right. We are coming toward the top, the final four in our SEC uh, preseason team strength ratings and our uh, preseason uh projections we've got the lsu tigers and you mentioned it uh just a little bit ago lsu was probably probably should have won that game uh against the aggies the what was it seven overtimes something ridiculous it, it looked like they won it two or three times, times. before uh a&m uh just sort of uh, pulled a, a rabbit out of the hat and escaped with a 74 72 victory but uh this lsu squad uh, modest expectations coming into last season. A lot of people thought that maybe Ed Orgeron might be on the hot seat come the end of the year, but uh, obviously they they uh, went well above and beyond their preseason expectations, winning 10 games, knocking off Miami to start the year, and then uh, they were a thorn in the side for, for a lot of teams last year. Beat Georgia, obviously. Uh, cost the Bulldogs a, a shot at a second um, trip to the playoffs. So, uh, LSU, what are, what are your thoughts early on? Is this a, uh, a challenger in the SEC West? Could the Tigers Absolutely. potentially beat Alabama? Okay, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Um, <laughs> you know, I feel like, you know, in my t- in my lifetime, I feel like every single season has been predicated on what it, whether or not LSU could go over the hump against Alabama. Uh, I feel like if I was an LSU fan, they'd be in my nightmares on a consistent basis. But when you look at this LSU team, you, I mean, just Joe Burrow has to make that next step. He has to grow as a QB. And with losing a lot of talent last year, um, especially when you lose a guy like Devin White, you, you know, on the defensive side, don't get me wrong. They have a lot of players to make up for his production. But when you lose guys like that, those are leaders leaving the locker room. Joe Burrow has to now turn into that leader. Joe Burrow has to be the, the guy who gets them going and the guy who doesn't add to their roles in games, but, you know, detracts from them and, and, and rallies the team when they're playing a game like Alabama or, you know, when they're playing in a close game, when they have, uh, you know, a Texas on the road. Or if I'm not mistaken, is that a neutral side game? On the road. That, that is game on is, road. On, okay, cool. is in Austin. I'm just making sure. Um, you know, in, in a game like that where, where, you know, Joe Burrow has now been through the year of the trenches and he's going to have to be the leader of that ball club on both sides of the ball. You know, a lot of people point to guys like Grant Delpit on the defensive side to be the leaders, but they can only do so much in the leadership role that if a quarterback takes that same stance can do monumental things. Um, so if Joe Burrow can take that leadership role on the field and off the field and, you know, uh, obviously raise his production level from what was a 
average is not the right word. It, it was it was above average, but statistically it was it was it was rather okay. Uh, 2,894 yards, sixteen touchdowns, five interceptions. So it's, it's not a bad year, but they're gonna need more if they're gonna have any chance of challenging for the SEC West this year because they have one heck of a defense. And Nick, you can go ahead and get into those into that defense because it is immaculate as far as our stats are concerned. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, in, in my opinion, and and this is uh, this comes through in the player ratings as well, but uh, but also in my opinion, Grant Delpit is probably the best defensive player, if not the best overall player in the country. Uh, yeah. He is easily the most productive uh, defensive back um, to this point in his career uh, of of any active player. He's a 100 rating by far. Um, if, if our, uh, if we didn't cap, uh, our player rating at 100, uh, Grant Delpit would, uh, <laughs> let, me, let me count this out, a uh, 124.95. So based on his uh, talent projection coming out of high school, uh, he was a 97 almost rated player by 247 Sports. Um, we adjust that for him being here, so he gets 95% of that talent potential, uh, and then add the production points. 33 production points to date through just his first two seasons on campus. Uh, he's an incredible player, Ridiculous. highly productive. Ridiculous. And uh, he's, he's one of... Five 100-rated players on this defense. So uh, Christian Fulton, cornerback, also rated a 100. Michael Divinity, uh, the linebacker, a 100-rated player. And then two defensive linemen uh, who both suffered injuries last year. So they'll have to stay healthy to to uh, reach this potential. But uh, Breeden Fajico, the nose tackle, and Rashad Lawrence, at the defensive end, both of those players are, are 100 as well. So this is definitely one of the most talented defenses in the country. In fact, LSU ranks number one in the country in uh, roster strength on defense. So yeah. uh, this this team is stacked at all three levels on the defensive side of the ball. And the offense, again, you know, like you mentioned, we sound like a broken record, but the talent is there. It's just going to be, can this team reach that potential. Joe Burrow, I was pleasantly surprised with his performance last year. I know he got off to uh, a really slow start, uh, completed just 46.2% of his passes in his first four games, but really started to uh, come on as he grew comfortable in that starting role and really has an opportunity to, to do some good things this year. Uh, he might be, you know, in that top five, perhaps, of SEC quarterbacks and if uh, LSU gets top five quarterback play in this league, they definitely They're have an opportunity to, to challenge Alabama, maybe even uh, make a run at a playoff spot. So uh, Joe Burrow can definitely take this team to another level if he reaches that uh, full potential, if he continues uh, to grow and improve in that position. And at running back, LSU always has uh, great ball carriers. Right. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire starts out probably as as the starter, but watch out for John Emery Jr. Uh, I, for one, am not a huge recruiting guy. Uh, obviously, we base a lot of our player ratings. It starts with the with the recruiting rating and the talent potential. But uh, John Emery-Hilaire, or excuse me, uh, John Emery Jr. <laughs> Uh, I, I was aware of him before uh, he uh, arrived on campus at Baton Rouge. This 
this guy, five-star level player, uh, has an opportunity to uh, have a similar career path to a Leonard Fournette. I mean, that that sounds ambitious, but he has that kind of talent. I do not be surprised if John Emery is the, the leading rusher for LSU and uh, gets over 1,000 yards on the ground this year. And, and if he does uh, step up and, and become that type of player as a true freshman, I think LSU most certainly could um, challenge not only in the SEC West, but for a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's honestly ridiculous how much talent is in that state and how much of they how much talent that they keep, even with Bama coming in there and at least taking three or four, maybe even five at times, prospects. Um, you mentioned it with John Emery Jr. I, 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 every article I read coming out of spring was, this kid's the real deal. He might be the starter by week three. He might rush for 1,000 yards. And, you know, if they can get that kind of production with the quarterback play, it might be the first time since, goodness gracious, maybe Zach Mettenberger and Jeremy Hill that we saw a combination that we didn't feel like the quarterback was so much inferior to the running game or the running game was inconsistent to the quarterback play. And they might actually have two guys who stand behind the center who are both capable of doing great things. Um, So I think that LSU has a plethora of talent and Orgeron and his, God forbid he's he's in the college football playoff this year because nobody wants to listen to those interviews. But, you know, if, if you're an LSU fan, I know you love it. And, um, and you know, deep down inside, you know, with my dad being from Louisiana, I have a little special place in my heart for you guys. Don't like what you did to us last season, but I have a special place in you guys. I will be rooting for you guys against Bama and Florida and most SEC teams. So. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, LSU definitely has some toss-up games. We have them only as a slight favorite against Florida by one and a half points. It's basically a coin flip. Uh, the following week at Mississippi State, we've got LSU favored by less than a quarter of a point in that game. Uh, but they're only a one-point underdog at Texas in week two, as you mentioned before. And Alabama is still Alabama. They're a 15-point favorite, according to our early numbers in Week 11. But, uh, you know, LSU is, is proven, as they did when they beat Georgia last year, that they're capable of knocking off uh, anybody, anybody. So uh, now we're into the uh, the home stretch, the final three. And I know uh, this uh, might pain you, uh, Xavier, to hear, but we've got Florida ranked third in uh, the SEC and fifth in the country and uh before we get too far um looking at that uh, week 10 matchup in jacksonville against the bulldogs we have florida as a uh, 1.2 point underdog in that game um and and uh we're, we've been relying on our our main uh power rating system in in this discussion today uh but we've got eight other power ratings that are uh, that are uh, still in uh, private uh, Google Sheets for us and, and uh, ran these same projections. And in two of those uh, power ratings, um, we actually had Florida beating Georgia. And uh, one, one power rating system actually called for the Gators to go 12-0 and 0 
and make it to what? the SEC <laughs> championship game. And, and you have to think if a team goes 12-0, and 0, uh, even if they were to lose to uh, you know an, an undefeated Alabama in the SEC championship game, there's a good chance that they uh, reach the playoff. But uh, the, the, the public uh, model that we've got uh, calls for Florida to go 10-2. and two. They're favored in, in 10 games as uh, underdogs only at LSU and uh, by uh, 1.2 points currently in Jacksonville against Georgia. What I love most about this Florida team, and uh, I think that I speak for, for, for even Florida fans, and, and I have a lot of them as friends, is, you know, Felipe Franks is poised to make that next step. Uh, you saw it in some games. Matter of fact, you even saw it in, in some losses last year that he can be a an amazing quarterback when you know he does the right thing but that's the scary part about this ball club is is Felipe Franks going to do the right thing I mean there were times last year that I heard for you know Felipe Franks neck and they wanted Emory Jones playing at the quarterback position um that's how inconsistent he was last season but Felipe Franks for me this year is going to have to you know really show his worth because as we've said about the last, you know, 12 or 11 teams on this list, he has ridiculous talent around him, and he's going to be the only reason why that talent doesn't see the uh, see the light of day. Um, when you've got guys like Van Jefferson, Tyree Cleveland, uh, Trayvon Grimes, LaMichael P. Ryan, the, all these guys, all these skilled players we saw last year, you know, explode sometimes and explode in some games. Um, I, I didn't even get to guys like Freddie Swain and, and Josh Hammond, both of which, you know, will, will more than likely, you know, show their worth in, uh, in special teams. But regardless, that kind of talent needs a quarterback to steer the ship. They can't get the balls to themselves as much as they would want to. They can't. And, you know, when you have a receiving core, as we have it, is ranked, you know, first in the SEC and first in the country. When your quarterback is ranked 18th in the country, you should be winning nine games. Should be. I see no reason why Florida can't roll off nine or ten. Um, you know, obviously, I don't have them beating Georgia and Jacksonville. And I don't have them beating, uh, what is the other game that we have them losing to? If I'm LSU. Not mistaken, it's LSU. Yes. And I don't have them beating LSU not in Death Valley. But I wouldn't be surprised if they did beat LSU. And that game against Georgia ended up, you know, deciding who won the SEC East. Like the good old days. Uh this Florida team, you know, us as Georgia fans, we've been loving the last two seasons because we knew that they would come back. We we knew as soon as they got Mullen that the recruiting level would rise and that they always had talent. They just didn't have guidance. And uh, we've kind of been waiting for this year, um, waiting for Florida to finally be rated as this highly touted ball club where we felt like, you know, they could actually compete for the SEC East. And Florida, I mean, bias aside, you've got the talent. Now what are you going to do with it? You've got two games against Florida State and Miami that you guys are favored in, you know, by pretty much everybody except for those two fan bases. You can't lose those. You can't lose those to end to start and end your season. It's just not good. If you do that, I could easily see Florida only winning seven to eight, seven to eight games this year and it being one of the you know most underwhelming seasons for a Florida team in a very long while. Well, we've definitely seen Florida uh, come up short in years past and obviously 2017 when they only won four games um, was a, a major disappointment in Gainesville but uh, 
this team, it, it, you would have to think that uh, based on last year and the momentum that uh, they built and, and the growth that we saw in Felipe Franks definitely uh, towards the end of the season uh, really showed that he uh, has an opportunity to, to fulfill his potential. And he's a very experienced player. I mean, 21 starts to date. Um, definitely, in my opinion, has an opportunity to take another step forward this year. Uh, will have the Gators in every game, even if they – um, are not, uh, you know, even if they come up short, maybe against an LSU or a Georgia, uh, I don't see this team getting blown out at any point this year. I think that they uh, have, again, the talent to compete uh, with anybody in the country. As you mentioned, our number one rated receiving core, they are stacked at that position. It is six deep with players that are 90 or higher rated, uh, including uh, Kadarius Tony, who's one of my most uh, favorite players to watch. He does so many things well. Uh, anytime that he has the football in his hands, uh, their offensive line is definitely the question mark. Uh, it's an inexperienced unit. Only one full-time starter returns. But uh, from a talent standpoint, it's a top 15 unit, according to our numbers. Uh, the running back position is the lowest rated unit on the offense at 20. So you've got top 20 talent at all four offensive units and uh, top 35 talent at every unit defensively. There are not very many, if any, weak spots uh, on this roster um, that the schedule does have some some tough games. Obviously, anything can happen in a rivalry game. Uh, Miami, we don't really know what to make of them quite yet. We do have Florida as a two-touchdown favorite in that game, but uh, the Hurricanes are, are uh, potentially a dangerous team, and, and uh, we've seen how a, a week one performance, you know, if Florida for some reason comes out flat, that could definitely uh, steer things off course. But uh, on paper at this point, it looks like Florida is is uh, definitely a contender in the SEC East. Uh, we'll have an opportunity to challenge our number two team. And I know you're very familiar uh, yes. with the Georgia Bulldogs, who we have ranked number four in the country and number two in the SEC. Um, what can I say? Um, uh, this team this year could win it all. Um, but at the same time, and, and this might be the pessimist, pessimistic Georgia fan, you know, that has watched us blow away, you know, talented team after talented team, Matthew Stafford, Nosha Marino, AJ Green. I mean, the list goes on, um, with talent that we've had in the past and this team could, could, could go nine and three and, you know, I'm going to try to be as unbiased as possible, you know, in every podcast that we do. But when I look at this team, I look at three games that's. South Carolina, Notre Dame, Florida. No offense to Auburn, no offense to A&M. But those three games, to me, are going to be the games that test us mentally the most. You know, Notre Dame is going to be looking for revenge after losing um, a couple of years ago. If not last year, I'm drawing a blank there. A couple um, of years ago, yeah, 2017. Right. Um, you know, Florida is going to be looking for revenge after last year's loss when a lot of their fans and talking to them felt like they should have won and they missed chances. And then South Carolina has always been a thorn in our backside. Uh, maybe not under the Kirby Smart era, but I mean, how many times have we gone, you know, have we played South Carolina where we were clear favorites 
and it was either too close for comfort or they ended up coming out with a win. You know, throughout the Mark Rick era, it was never a set in stone game playing South Carolina, whether it was home or away. Um, but I think we've said it, you know, with every team, but there's so much talent. There's so much ability for this Georgia team, who, in my opinion, has the best left tackle in the country in Andrew Thomas. And I think that's pretty set in stone everywhere. And that th- that's where this team will win a championship this year or, you know, come up short once again. It, it's going to be on the offensive line. You know, we've got the names. You've got the Solomon Kinleys and the Trey Hills and the Ben Clevelands and Isaiah Wilson and Cade Mays for depth. We've heard about it for the last, you know, year or two. But what will that talent do, you know, facing, you know, fourth and one, third and one? If it's any indication, last year what happened to Florida when we were on the, four, uh, on the one yard line when it took us 12 plays and we still didn't get in the end zone and we still kicked the field goal? That's not going to be boding well for us. That Florida team is just as stacked as it was last year. And if we can't push the pile, we're going to be in trouble. Um, but yeah, let me not ramble. Let me go ahead and pass <laughs> it off to you, Nick. I could talk about this team all day. As far as Georgia's concerned, what do you see? Well, the the number one concern, and, and it perhaps, uh, I wouldn't even call it a weakness because, as we've mentioned before, the talent is, is there for sure. But uh, experience is a major concern uh, in the receiving core. And uh, one of my uh, big influences, one of uh, the major influences uh, for CFB winning edge has, has been Bill Connolly, of, uh, formerly of SB Nation, uh, most recently uh, was hired by ESPN. Congrats to Bill. Uh, but his S&P Plus analytics system and, and all the research that he had done uh, throughout his uh, career to date, one interesting thing that, that he found that's always stuck out to me uh, when he did his uh, returning production at the beginning of each offseason, one thing he found a few years ago was that the position group that most correlated with uh, success or failure, um, if I'm remembering correctly uh, how he put it, was the receiving core. And the fact that uh, now Georgia only returns uh, 29 0.96% of its receiving production from last year. That is by far the fewest in the SEC. There is no other SEC team that returns less than half of its receiving production, and Georgia returns less than 30%. And uh, there are only a handful of teams across the country that return a lower percentage of their receiving total from uh, the 2018 season. So a player like Tyler Simmons is going to have to step up. Demetrius Robertson, former five-star signee at Cal, had a great freshman season but didn't make a catch last year. Um, he will have to, to step up if this unit is going to challenge and, and stretch defenses. Uh, the grad transfer from Miami, Lawrence Cager, looks like he's going to have to have a, a bigger role than, than we previously thought with uh, the uh, suspension, dismissal, what, whatever you, you want to call uh, Jeremiah Holloman's departure um, just, uh, just a little less than a week ago. Um, so players like that, as well as the two highly touted true freshmen, Dominic Blaylock and George uh, Pickens, those, those guys, somebody's going to have to step up from that group. And Jake Fromm is, is obviously one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Uh, we have the Georgia QB unit ranked number nine overall 
Um, Fromm is a 100-rated player. The only issue is depth at the position because you got a couple of newcomers, uh, former walk-on and, and Juco transfer Stetson Bennett back in Athens uh, appears to be the, the backup right now because of four-star true freshman Dwan Mathis's um, uh, medical issues that, that kept him out this spring. And, and we're, of course, uh, hoping the best for him uh, uh, this year. But uh, if something were to happen to Jake Fromm, Georgia definitely could be in trouble because yeah. this unit is uh, pretty shallow. Um, DeAndre Swift at running back is is easily one of the most talented players at that position in the country. Uh, he's got to stay healthy, and, and if he does, uh, has an opportunity to perhaps you know, put together a, a Heisman Trophy challenging season. Um, James Cooks, Amir White, Kenny McIntosh, these are highly, highly talented players, highly recruited players that came in as uh, five- and four-star signees. So um, there's obviously a lot of depth at, at that position. Um, and the offensive line is a strength. Some people are calling it the best in the country. We have it rated uh, number three in the country, number two in the SEC and uh, defensively, I mean, we know Kirby Smart and his coaching staff is, is going to coach him up. Um, we have the unit as a whole ranked seventh in the country, uh, a top 10 defensive line and a top 10 secondary. Linebacker seems to be the only question mark. A lot of new faces, a lot of inexperience there. But top to bottom, Georgia is uh, about as good as it gets. We've got them favored. We've got the, the Bulldogs favored uh, in all 12 games. Uh, only two teams we expect to come within five points, and that's Florida and Auburn. Um, those, uh, this this looks like, again, another uh, SEC East champion and, and uh, uh, college football playoff hopeful. Um, and uh, who knows, you know, maybe third time is the charm uh, against Alabama if they have an opportunity to play again in Atlanta. Uh Maybe this time Georgia can can finally get it done at the end of the game. But uh, this is this is definitely uh, one of the top teams in the country. We have them ranked fourth overall. Yeah, um, I'm not going to go too far into it. Uh, We could be here for another hour. But um, this Georgia team, you know, and the Georgia fans, the thing that we'll be looking for the most and what will help them get over the hump uh, in some of these games that are going to be a little bit tougher to, to get up for and get hyped for. It's going to be the front. It's going to be the front four. Uh, last year we were awful in sacks, um, and still we're managed to win ten games. Uh, with that being the case, or win eleven games, excuse me. With that being the case, Malik Herring, Tyler Clark, David Marshall, Julian Rochester, um, you guys are going to have to step up this year. And if you guys do, then this team could roll roll all the way to the CFB playoff. Uh, but it's going to be it's a lot of pressure is going to be on those guys. Absolutely. And and uh, last but not least, uh, and, and actually, in fact, first uh, in both our SEC uh, team strength ratings in the preseason and in our FBS oh, no. rankings, which uh, might come as a surprise to people that saw Clemson uh, put up uh, 44 points in, in a pretty dominant fashion in the college football 
playoff national championship game. We've got Alabama as the top-ranked team in the country, and uh, the reason for that is is roster strength. Uh, that's our overall team talent rating, and simply put, Alabama has more talent on hand than any other team in the country, and, and that includes Clemson. Uh, Clemson is, uh, as we'll talk about in a couple of weeks when we get to the ACC, uh, Clemson is capable of beating anybody on any given night. They proved it. They were the best team uh, in the championship game last year, but uh, from a pure talent standpoint, and when we also factor in the experience and the production, uh, like we do with our numbers, we've got Alabama number one overall. Nick Saban, uh, like Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, uh, is a uh, 100-rated head coach, tops in the nation, obviously, and Alabama comes in at number one with a 95.63 team strength rating. And uh, this is uh, the clear favorite in the SEC, according to our numbers. Um, It uh, would be uh, a close matchup with Georgia, uh, who is a 91.2 rated team. That's still Alabama. We would put favorite in the SEC championship game uh, by about a touchdown. So this is uh, one of the best teams in the country easily. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost gross at this point. Um, how good Alabama is. Um, I feel like, you know, they're the, they're the Patriots of, of college football. I feel like every year it's Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, great quarterback, Tom Brady. I mean, this team literally is a, as we have it in our numbers, is a favorite in every game. And it's not close either. Bama is a favorite by over nine points in every single ball game that they're in. This year, I think that in itself kind of just shows you not only, you know, what we think of them, but, you know, um, as you know, I know some of you guys may do sports betting, what betting thinks of them as well. Bama cleared far and away. And, and, and you know, we're going to have to see throughout the season, maybe some weaknesses come about last year. We didn't know that their secondary was as bad as, you know, Clemson made it look. Uh, but you could see that, you know, it wasn't the greatest secondary. You know, when they played the top teams last year, like your Georgias, like your Clemsons, they struggled at times um, to, to to create, you know, pass deflections and knockdowns and, and play good coverage in the back end. I, I'm sure that Nick Saban, being the, the, the defensive back mind that he is, will get that right this season. Um, when you have guys like Patrick Sertan and Trayvon Diggs and Shaheem Carter, you know, all of which are 90-plus rated guys on our, in our in, through our system, He's going to have that going. He's going to have that, you know, rectified. And, you know, if anything, that, that Clemson game might have lit a fire under the stone-cold face of one Nick Saban, uh, which if that's the case and if they do come out playing the way that, you know, Nick Saban wants them to play every single game, it could get even scarier uh, for teams in the SEC West and the teams that have to play them this year. Thank God it's not us. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, well. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like everybody talks about Bama too, Ignazium. So Bama's Bama, you know, great team. And if they slip up and lose a game, you know, the entire world will rejoice as, as customary. 
<laughs> yeah, and and you know we forget sometimes because of the the lopsided score um, in the last game they played. But uh, this Alabama squad, or excuse me, last year's Alabama squad was uh, routinely compared to the greatest teams of all time throughout the regular season and, and after uh, sneaking by uh, Georgia with a with a uh, late uh, come from behind victory in the SEC championship game. But uh, Tua Tunga Vailoa. Obviously, one of the one of the two or three Heisman favorites this year, a hundred rated player. Uh, he he was amazing. His command, his accuracy is as good as it comes uh, in the country. Has uh, we don't have it rated as the the number one receiving core. Uh, they're all the way down at number three, but uh, that that group of wide receivers is arguably the top uh, in the nation. They've got two 100-rated receivers in Jerry Judy, and we actually have Jalen Waddell, who uh, is more dynamic potentially uh, or has been more productive thus far as a uh, return specialist and an all-purpose player, but um, excited to, to see him um, uh, have a, a perhaps a heavier role in the passing game as well this year. He's already up to a 100. And, uh, of course, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, um, they've got – some other guys that that are uh, uh, not as as well known, but everybody's highly recruited, highly rated. Um, there's depth everywhere. There really is not a weakness uh, on this team. Um, running back Najee Harris has played. You know, he's had a limited role over the last couple of years, but former five-star player has an opportunity to to do big big things. Brian Robinson, uh, fairly uh, unknown so far by by a lot of the regular, uh, you know, the general college football uh, fans, but he has an opportunity to to step into, you know, a one A 1A type or, or number two role. Uh, could could definitely do some big things there. And uh, defensively, yeah, there there are five 100 rated players on defense. This unit ranks number two behind only LSU and our uh, roster strength for defense. Uh, and this is the number one offense in the country, according to those numbers. So uh, obviously it, it should come as no surprise that uh, we have Alabama ranked uh, number one as far as roster strength. And uh, it might be a little bit more of a surprise, but probably not a big one that they're uh, our number, rank, number one ranked team overall in the country. Yeah, and... Uh... I think that's 14 to one and all done as they <laughs> might say on some publications. Uh, the SEC is going to be fun this year. Um, as, as we well documented for you guys over the last hour and some change, I think seven through 14 could be an absolute shootout. Who knows what could happen for all of those teams. And, from you know three to six, same thing, but more so who's going to be that third team? We we kind of feel like Georgia and Alabama are the top of the top in this conference, but Florida, LSU, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, all these teams could you know you know and could very well make a push for the SEC championship game that we you know quite rightly think uh, is going to be a, a repeat of last season and. Uh, yeah, but, you know, as an SEC fan, I don't think anybody can come into this season, you know, with their heads down already or their heads in the sand before the season even starts. Because as we alluded to, all of these teams have an opportunity to do better than our projections. Um, and they have the same amount of ability to do worse than our projections. <laughs> 
for sure. And uh, we started with a bang with the the number one conference in the country and uh, the biggest conference in the country. Uh, Fourteen teams, <laughs> as you said. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, some informative. Uh, uh, recaps of, of each team. Um, again, if uh, you are uh, not yet a Patreon supporter, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash CFB winning edge. Sign up there. We've got three tiers. Each gives you um, a variety of uh, valuable uh, information, team rankings, team ratings, coaches ratings. Uh, we've got game projections, preseason projections, all sorts of good stuff. Uh, full da- uh, databases for our uh, Tier 3 supporters give you access to download and save a lot of those Google Sheets uh, for your own personal research and use. So uh, if you haven't yet subscribed, uh, if you want to support this podcast as we continue uh, to grow and uh, you know, as we gain experience uh, as podcasters, um, we do appreciate that support um so uh please do check us out patreon.com slash cfb winning edge you can follow us on twitter at cfb winning edge uh and uh want to thank xavier trish for uh joining me today and uh this is nicholas ian allen of cfb winning edge and uh thank you very much and we will talk to you again sh- uh, soon <laughs> goodbye <laughs> <All right, bye-bye. laughs>